Welcome to Otaku American. This is Mikey Fresh here. I'm here with a friend and a special guest, uh, Jibba Anderson. How are you doing, man? I'm good. I'm good. How are you? I'm doing fine. I'm doing fine. It's good to hear you. The first time I met you was last year during C2E2. Uh, we stayed in contact, you know, with each other through Facebook for the last year or so. So, um, I know you've been doing the horseman and you've been doing four pages and 16 bars. Uh, if for people who aren't uh, familiar with any of your work, what is four pages, 16 bars all about? Okay. Uh, four pages, 16 bars, a visual mixtape, um, is a celebration of comics, um, designed and conceived by uh, various independent creators of color. Um, it is a place where we talk about uh, not only the, the history and the ongoing history of the presence of the creator of color in comics, but we also talk about its present and we also talk about its future. Um, in a nutshell, it's kind of like the heavy metal magazine or tome uh, for creators of color. That's awesome. Uh, how many volumes have you already completed? Well, we have uh, three volumes done right now. Um, and in addition to the three volumes, we also have what I like to call uh, the mixtape, uh, which is called Sequential Graffiti, which is a um, Sequential Graffiti was the first project of uh, four pages, 16 bars that was completed, which was basically a poster book and a directory of. Um, around uh, 35 to 40 creators of color, um, writers and artists, and uh, links to their um, bio, uh, links to their websites and and having brief bios of the artists in their career. Yeah, and then uh, from that, we have three volumes of the actual series where, you know, again, it's a combination of um, uh, comic books, um, online strips, um, as well as articles uh, talking about the history of the creator of color in comic books and also uh, the character of color in comics as well. All right. That's cool. So four pages, 16 bars is a mix, basically a mixtape about with different artists and things of that nature. How did you come about picking the artists for the mixtape um, book itself? Well, um, Again, I went to uh, Facebook and I took notice of artists that um, I admire. Um, in addition, um, you know, artists that I know, artists and writers that I know in the industry. Um, some cats are in the uh, quote unquote mainstream sphere working for DC and Marvel. Uh, some people are completely um, independent. Um, and there are people in between, but everybody that I picked uh, for this project, these are people that already had projects in the works or already had projects published, and that's where I went for expressly. And then also, I was going for people who I thought were very up and coming. Um, definitely, you know, I had my sort of art geek, um, comic book historian uh, slash professional hat on um, when approaching these. When approaching these creators, I was definitely going for people who understood the craft of comics and who did it very well. Mm -hmm. And um, that's who I was going for. So I wasn't going for uh, the amateur route. The project isn't a place where 
amateurs can get put on. It's like, hey, I want to be a part of this comic, you know, any capacity. No, these are, I was definitely going out for people who um, did not wait for uh, opportunity, but instead went ahead and uh, created their own opportunities. And from that, you know, I have some um, have some great people um, as part of this project. Um, for instance, John Jennings. Uh, also, Ashley Woods, who is uh, currently doing Niobe. Uh, mm-hmm. Also, uh, David Walker of Shaft and Cyborg and Power Man and Iron Fist fame. Mm-hmm. And uh, also um, people who had really successful Kickstarters like Anthony Piper's Trill League and Roy Okupe's um, EXO, The Legend of Wally Williams. So this has been a very, very um, interesting, a very, very fun, a very, very informative, and a very, very unifying project um, to to get people involved in. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Have you actually been noticing uh, some of the? Uh, you spoke of uh, some of the artists that you had on there, and some of them that had some Kickstarter ventures. Have you noticed? Do you think Kickstarter is a good outlet to try and bring your your dream or your idea to life? Uh, I think that Kickstarter is a great outlet. Um, I feel that Kickstarter, I've been actually doing a little bit of research mm-hmm. um, recently on a successful Kickstarter campaigns, specifically um, Kickstarter campaigns uh, featuring properties um, that deal with characters of color, properties created by creators of color, different gender, so on and so forth. Mm-hmm. And I've been looking at um, the economics of um, Kickstarter. Yes. And the uh, economics of, um, of of these projects. And what I'm finding, or what I found, is like, I mean, these projects have been extremely, extremely successful. Like, for instance, um, the recent project Black, uh, which was recently funded by Kickstarter, um, created by Kwanzaa. Oseyefo, uh, Tim Smith, and Jamal Igle and Kari Randolph. Yeah. Um, initially, you know, of course, um, you know, Black has the benefit of having Jamal Igle and Kari Randolph on the project because they are already names. They have already done work for DC Marvel Image, that sort of thing. Jamal Igle has made a splash with Molly Danger, which was also successfully funded through Kickstarter. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, uh, Kwanzaa. Uh, Osayefo, um, I hope I'm not um, dismantling that last name so badly as being an African, and I know how important pronunciation is. Exactly. With with our names. Yeah, I had him on my. I had him on this show uh, a couple weeks ago, so gotcha. I know about the butchering of that last name. Right, so. right. And with me having an African name myself, yeah. I know how sensitive the topic is. But um, suffice it to say, their initial budget was uh, $30,000. That was their initial goal. Yes. And they raised over 76000 you know? Mm-hmm. Um, the big winner, shall we say, of the season of, of Black History Month and going forward is, of course, Tuskegee Airs by Greg Burnham and Marcus Williams. Correct. Their initial goal was only 10000 I know. And they raised close to 75000 so if you look at Kickstarter um, and you look at Kickstarter's sense of the economy of what's happening in the comic book industry, um, Kickstarter seems to be extremely successful. I mean, of course, you know, you have to 
do your marketing correctly you have to do your Kickstarter correctly but but if you have a project that you have a project with flavor in it definitely um, people have found a lot of success for it you know and you also look at look at Kickstarter um, you know they're not it's not just a fundraiser what it is is that you're getting advanced sales yes right yes. you're getting advanced sales for your projects and so when you have these you know when you have these projects it's like okay if you look at you know a book coming out through DC or Marvel and you say like $76,000 raised or spent on it it doesn't seem like much for an independent creator for an independent team that sort of thing I mean that's middle class you know yes. what I'm saying and that's doing extremely well I mean you put these together um, you put a number of these together, you know, it's like so far I've, I've gotten 10 and it's, you know, and it's close to like $500,000 yeah. in, in sales generated, you yeah. know what I mean? And, and that's, and that's significant. Yes. That's, that's very, very significant. I'll guarantee, I'll guarantee you like independent creators and, and, and cats like that. I mean, cats who are really serious about the game, who really know what they're doing. You know what I mean? Um, Kickstarter is a way to say that, no, you don't even need a classic publisher to be a successful and get, and get your work out there. So in a long, convoluted way to answer your question, I think that Kickstarter is extremely viable. Mm-hmm. I think it's extremely important. I think it, um, I think it helped democratize uh, the comic book industry to, to a great extent. Yes, yes. Otherwise, uh, that form wouldn't even be known considering the amount because at the end of the day i look at it as a kickstarter is providing artists with the capital for them to fund their dream so you know whereas they may not necessarily especially if you're talking about like let's take kwanzaa's project i'm relatively sure that's uh, that's a subject that a lot of major publishers publishers don't want to take so for him to go through kickstarter and get all his funding that's a wonderful uh circumstance that he would probably not you know even though he's been in the game for a while you're talking about a a, a ip that doesn't sit well with the people who let's say would be powers of b oh yeah for real i mean like a project like black where the story is only black people can get superpowers like no other no 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 publisher would take that on you know what i mean yeah it, it it takes a it takes a certain amount of uh, a certain amount of tes- uh, testicular fortitude, as it were, um, that you know many publishers just don't have nowadays. You know what I mean? Yeah. Speaking of, since you've been looking up Kickstarter yourself, is there any new projects you have in the works coming up? Well, it's more of a continuation of product of projects that I have uh, going on currently. Uh, most notably. Um, the Horseman Mark of the Cloven, which is an illustrated novel series. Um, of course, it's My World, the Horseman. Um, but the writer of the project is uh, Jude W. Meyer, and I'm handling all of. Uh, I'm handling the co-plotting. Of course, I'm handling the illustration, the design work, the layout work, that sort of thing. But uh, Jude is uh, he's writing um, the book, and uh, so it's a continuation of that. Um, we just collected the first three issues of that project um, into a trade um, called, you know, Mark of the Cloven, Volume 1, Heirs to the Throne, which uh, people can pick up um, at Amazon right now. 
in terms of, you know, projects beyond that, uh, there's been a project that has been ruminating um, for the past couple years, uh, the Horseman Lumumba Funk, which um, I will tackle, um, I feel I'll tackle after or while uh, Mark of the Cloven is still happening. Lumumba Funk is actually the recontextualizing of the Horseman world and its creation process as if the Horseman came out in the 70s as opposed to the new millennium. And so... Um, so that that is still working. That's still you know that's still um, in my mind uh, and, and working on that. But currently, right now, it's just finishing up uh, Mark of the Cloven, uh, so that you know can move forward and uh, and do some other things. So, what would you say your background is uh, per se in let's say illustrating, writing, that kind of thing? Um, my background is in illustrating writing designing i have uh i've always been like the one-stop shop when it came to um creating my work um that was as much out of necessity um as it was out of ego i think it was even more so out of necessity than ego thank goodness uh but but yeah but it's uh my, my background my background um if you wanted to look at the root of uh, where my background comes from, my background is in the visual arts, uh, you know, specifically um, illustration and drawing. And um, as I, you know, trained myself, I became a, a writer and I also became a graphic designer um, as well as an educator. Uh, this is Jazz. Um I don't know if you already asked this question. I mean, how long have you been doing this, and did, did you go? Did you go to a specific school, any type of education, or is this all self, you know, self-taught? Uh -huh. I have been uh, now. If you're asking, there there are a couple ways to say about it. Um, I wanted to do comics ever since I was ten years old, so that was my goal. Um, going to college, uh, going to grad school. Uh, when I went to college, um, you know, my degree is in photography and illustration. Uh, my master's degree is in visual communication. And my philosophy when I got into uh, specifically graduate school is that I realized that comic books were really uh, the purest form of graphic design or visual communication, in my opinion. Um, if you take the notion that graphic design is the synthesis between image and text, you don't see anything more pure of that synthesis, of that, um, synthesis uh, than when you look at comics. Does that make sense? Yes. Yeah, I get it. Yeah. So in terms, so in terms of education, you know, um, definitely college educated uh, in terms of, you know, knowing, um, knowing the philosophy, knowing movements, you know, um, in terms of theory, so on and so forth. And then still there's this element of self-education as well. Um, you know, continually educating yourself on the, uh, history of comics and, um, also the method to creating comics, because aside from, the Joe Kubert school, aside from 
the Columbus College of Art and Design, Savannah College of Art and Design, and uh, the uh, School of Visual Arts in New York, to name a few, there had not been a whole bunch of uh, curriculum based on the creation of comics until fairly recently. Definitely not when I was coming up. There is that combination of self-taught and classically trained. Okay, that makes that makes sense. Yeah, so um, what are some of the things, uh, some of the uh, works or comics or if anything uh, that kind of influence you or influence your style of writing or uh, illustration? Okay, that's a... That's a good question. That's a that's a much more in-depth question than who are your favorite comics coming up? I um the stuff that influenced me always was more so the independent stuff. Mm-hmm. Um than the mainstream stuff. Don't get me wrong, I enjoy the mainstream stuff. Um, but in terms of being a comic artist and in terms of seeing what I could do with the medium, um indeed in terms of me even knowing that I could get into the medium, it was always independent comics that attracted me because that was like the entree point in there. So, for example, you know, when I was very young, you know, I enjoyed ElfQuest and then mm-hmm. I was reading Matt Wagner's uh, Mage, which was a huge inspiration um, to me, as well as uh, First Comics Warp. And as, of course, and as I got older and, of course, you know, come 1990, where you saw the um, where you saw the birth really of of a of a major um, black comics movement with mm-hmm. with Brother Man with Tribe with Milestone Media those three are my holy grail if you will yes um, in terms of entree um, and in terms of, of seeing myself in the industry um, that will those were spiritual influences artistically um, I was always influenced by the work of, you know, cats like John Byrne, Steve Rude, George Perez, Jose Luis Garcia Lopez, um, Brian Stelfreeze, uh, Walt Simonson, um, cats like that, you know, um, that though, those were the, that group or that school of comic art has been like a huge, huge influence on me visually, um, in terms of writing, um, of course, Christopher Priest um, was a huge influence. Um, Dwayne McDuffie, huge influence. Um, Warren Ellis is another influence in terms of writing. Um, of course, Chris Claremont. Uh, you know, and and also really, uh, I think an even bigger influence on me as a writer uh, was the works of Octavia Butler outside of comics. So. Um, in terms of tapping into, uh, you know, what is now being touted as Afrofuturism and, and that sort of thing being, you know, tapping into tapping into the cultural and historical significance of, um, you know, the fantasy and the mythology of the African diaspora, you know, well beyond, uh, you know, Egypt and this Afrocentric hotep, you know, everything has to be comedic and blah, 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 whatever. I am West African. So that was the that was my focus. That that's where I was going, you know, as opposed to this mythic Egypt, like really going into um, the continent itself and really exploring um, the the cosmology, um, 
the fantasy, the, the faith systems of, of those regions that really helped influence my work. And um, Octavia Butler really helped me access that, tap into that. Okay. Um, out of all, you, you need a lot of people that uh, like that influenced you. Have you met any of them or worked with anybody or even got the opportunity just to, to talk to Oh. Um, I met I met a, a lot of my heroes. Um, I had the opportunity to, and, and this was early on when I was just breaking in. Um, had the opportunity to uh, meet George Perez a few times, which was huge uh, for me. Uh, great guy. I was even more surprised that he remembered me. <laughs> um, one of the cool. coolest moments when one of the coolest moments occurred when I was a character. In his 2003 book, uh, *Crimson Plague*, that was really fun to see myself in there and to see myself to see myself illustrated by George Perez was extremely fun. How, how, did, how did that come about? Um, that came about because uh, simply when he was doing um, when he was doing *Crimson Plague*, he put this thing out where he's like, you know, for his fans, he's like, send me a headshot, and uh, you know, depending upon, I want to put you in the book. So. I went ahead and did that, and uh, it's and not only am I like in the in the shall we say I'm not just in the group shots, if you will. Like they, I actually have dialogue in that book. Wow! And, and if it and if that book went on, I was surely going to die because I was a red shirt in it. But it was cool. <laughs> it was cool to be a red shirt in a George Perez comic. So it's awesome. Yeah, so that was really fun. Um, I met Steve Rude when I was just breaking in as well. Um, Steve Rude's words were the final nail in the coffin or the final, um, shall we say, uh, jolt for me to start Griot Enterprises uh, when I was shopping my portfolio around. He stated, and he looked at my portfolio, and he stated that, like, you know, in the next five years, and this is back in 97, he's like, in the next five years, you're going to be one of those guys that I'm looking at. And um, wow. that was really profound to me because I had just finished um, doing my first book, JBD. And I was shopping pages around. Uh, this book was written um, by Lamoris Richmond. Uh, you could also find this book um, on my company's website, griotenterprises.com. Um but I was shopping that work around and so I was showing my portfolio around and I showed it to Steve Rude and he gave me those kind words. And that evening, um, that was an epiphany. That was an epiphany. Instead of waiting for, to be discovered or waiting to break in through the big two, it's like, just discover yourself, man. Just start putting your own work out there, you know? And so that was, uh, so that was really inspirational to me. Um, met Brian Stelfreeze. Um, as well, and just being around that man is an education in art <laughs> in, in and of itself. Yeah, uh, he's absolutely amazing. So, um, and of course, uh, I would say my my biggest my biggest story, my biggest um, meet or continual interaction was with Dwayne McDuffie. Wow! And uh, and I met Dwayne in two thousand and five. And I, I had did the first Horseman miniseries, was floundering a little bit. This was just when um, Print on Demand was coming to the fore, and I was in San Diego um, for another project. 
that I was working on at the time. Um, two things about that San Diego con, again, that was a transformative moment. Uh, first of all, I was promoting this other project I was working on for another company um, that was working with Universal Music Group at the time. And um, I made some postcards uh, for um, Grio Enterprises for the Horsemen because I was going to get back into it. I was going to continue with the story. And so the so when I was promoting this at that booth, um, running into cats and I was promoting this other project. And I showed them the horseman stuff, and they're like, oh, man, you're the dude who did the horseman. The horseman, that's dope. And, you know, they were running to their yeah. friends. They were like, yo, man, the creator of the horseman is here, dude. Come on. You know, that was like, whoa, all right. And once I got from the booth and I was walking around and I saw Dwayne McDuffie, I'm like, oh, snap. And I went over there and um, I spoke to him. I, I, you know, I said, look, Mr. McDuffie, uh, first of all, huge fan been down with you since milestone this is like when justice league unlimited you know was at its zenith i was like you killed it on justice league mm-hmm. you know milestone's been a big inspiration to me um and i was just like and i just want to let you know like i do comics as well um here's you know my project and i gave him a postcard i was like if you get a chance check out the website let me know what you think um Dwayne looked at it he was like grio enterprises i was like yeah he was like, the horseman, that's you, right? I was like, yeah. He was like, man, I love that book. I was wondering what happened to the project. And I was wow, like, wow, wow, wow. I'm, I'm coming, I'm coming back out, you know? Um, he was a fan of yeah. the horseman. I mean, I know, I know that felt, I know that felt crazy. It was, it was completely crazy. I mean, a couple, a few years later, and and we and we had stayed in contact. As, as a matter of fact, at a certain point, he um, gave me his number, and um, you know, when they were talking about bringing Milestone back before he passed, yeah. And um, so we were doing a little bit of back and forth because I said I wanted to pitch for him. So you know, it wasn't like. It wasn't necessarily like we were best friends and stuff like that, but I mean, you know, the fact that the fact that you know he was so cool to give me that type of intimate access, yeah, and to be able to have the opportunity to speak to him and um, and interact with him, the fact that he was, you know, the fact that here is a person that created something that inspired me to create something, being a fan of something that I created. Yeah. You know, was yeah. was extremely, extremely. I mean, it was profound. It was it was profound. It, it still it still affects me to this day. As a matter of fact, um, just relaying that story again to you is a bit of a reminder of you know why I do this, yeah. why I continue to do this, you know, yeah. and why I can't stop. But yeah. So again, I, I know I answer your questions in these big roundabout. <laughs> no, 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 that's fine. It's perfectly fine. I mean, it's all right. You're, you're giving you're giving uh you know more insight more than what we asked, which is which is a good thing. Yes, it definitely is a good thing. Um, my question is like when you're when you're writing for your characters, like is there anything that is it more or less like more fantasy, or is it more or less you're thinking of certain things that may have gone on? in uh, real life uh, certain situations or certain um, things that are like uh, hot topics now in the uh, media currently gotcha gotcha well um, 
ever my my work you know my work definitely has a theme my work definitely deals you know i i deal with a lot with social justice mm-hmm. um i deal a lot with culture you know i i deal with these i deal with these bigger bigger topics and what what's interesting is like these are things that i've already been thinking about what happens is that it seems like society like rides with me does yes. that make sense yes you you, you, you know what i mean because yeah. it's already on my mind and I'm already like hot about it. I already have a have something that I want to say about it. Yeah. And then something happens in the world where it's like, oh, this is timely now. Yes. So, for example, like the Horseman first came out in 2002. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, in a lot of ways, in a in a lot of ways, I was very very ahead of the game. You know, come 2013, now cats are you know they were like, oh man, you know. The Orishas, like we never knew about these Orishas. Oh, look at the Orishas, the superheroes. Oh, I'm doing this character that's an Orisha, and I'm like, yo, I've been here since '02. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean. You're um, just now catching up. Yeah, pretty much, pretty much. So, um, and also, and so when it comes to writing my characters, um, I mean, there's still, you know, definitely depending upon the story, uh, if it's like a superhero science fiction story. I am delving in a world of fantasy, but I'm using that fantasy as a metaphor to speak about something else. And so when I write my characters, I want them to sound authentic, as authentic as possible. So I think about how they, not necessarily me, but how they would react in a particular type of situation. And sometimes some of the things that will help me out is I would either think of um, you know, an, an actor and their performance, or I would think about my friends, you know what I mean? It's like, and if my character has a similar personality that a friend or family member of mine may have, I think about how would they react in a situation like this? And especially if it's like something as quote unquote, as outlandish, um, as, as the situations that superheroes find themselves in. Yes, definitely. You know what I mean? So, so it's definitely um, my my writing style is definitely more more Marvel than DC, if you will. <laughs> I tell people that I, I explain to people that all the time. Uh, when you're not doing um, things well, what are some hobbies that you have? Like for instance, I'm a big time gamer. Lately, I've been playing the game uh, that just recently came out, The Division. Are you like? Other than writing and uh, illustrating, what do you do to kind of like either decompress or uh, uh, just take your mind away from your everyday? Hmm, that's a good question because I don't know if I ever decompress. <laughs> but if if anything, I'm I'm really big into music. Mm-hmm. I uh, I also do a podcast show um, every month called Ghetto of the Mind. Mm-hmm. Um. And that's a literal mixtape. And that's, um, you know, it could be R&B, it could be hip-hop, it could be electronic music, Chicago House, Detroit Techno. It could be jazz. It could be, um, you know, rock and roll. You know, every I'm always telling stories. And definitely with, with music, I tell a story. And so it, 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 plays, it plays twofold. It's like 
on one hand, it's sort of a decompression because I get in, I can get into the music. On the other hand, the music also inspires me in terms of creating stories. Yeah. So you know that's a big thing. You know, music is a big thing for me. Of course, watching the superhero shows and seeing superhero films, you know, um, that's something that I enjoy. Uh, and uh, also, yeah. You, so yeah, those those are kinds of the things that I do. It's like music and just absorbing more and more information. Well, <laughs> yeah. Speaking of that, what, what 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 shows, superhero shows, are you watching right now? Um, well, since tis the season of the superhero show, so yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> so I I did I really dig Supergirl, and what sold Supergirl for me was of course uh, John Jones um, coming into the fold. Yeah. And what's and what's interesting about Supergirl is that there's a whole lot of black man love on that show. Um, yeah, actually, yeah, you're right. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It's real subtle. Um, I, you know, a lot of people want to front on Arrow. I'm digging Arrow. Um, if you really look at Arrow, Arrow is a very womanist superhero show. You know what I mean? How, how so? How how you figure? Okay, think. All right, let's let's break down the team. Okay, you've got. Speedy, you've got Black Canary, and oh, you've yeah. got and you've got Felicity, like you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. And then you have Diggle uh, as Spartan, and then you have Ollie, right? And especially when they brought in um, Vixen a couple weeks ago, I thought that was fantastic. Yeah. So like, so it's very very subtly like, and then, you know, a lot of people complain about shows and stuff like that, but it's like I you know I look underneath and I see what's actually going on. And what they're actually doing, and it's really, it's really quite brilliant, you know. It's what it's really quite brilliant in terms of um, representation, um, in terms of intersectionality. Uh, you know, of course, I love the Flash. Flash is another great show. Yes, yeah, very uh, well done. I mean, I mean, DC, DC is is killing it on the television screen. Yeah, I was say like, TV, they have it on lock. They're they're, they're killing it. They're well, killing well, it. Well. Mine is Netflix, but we can. Well, it. yeah, I mean, of course, on the yeah, on the flip side, then of course, yes, I adore Daredevil. I cannot wait for next week. Um, I loved Jessica Jones. You know, I was surprised about Jessica Jones. Honestly, you were surprised. I was surprised because, and I I hear they want to do a second season and everything else. But well, the plan wasn't originally second season, but because of yeah. the success, they, I think they're gonna do it. Well, I think uh, I think they, you know, Jessica Jones is great because one of the things that's so great about the Marvel, what Marvel's doing with their properties, is that you get different genres yeah. out of, out of the superhero property, right? So Jessica Jones, that was really a horror movie. That yeah. was a, that was a psychological thriller. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You you know what I mean? And, yeah. and that's what I love about it. They they didn't they didn't approach it as a from a superhero point of view. Right. You know what I mean? And that's what I try to explain to people. I'm like, if you don't like, like, I mean, everybody has their reasons for not liking it, but I'm like, I think you were expecting something different. And the reason right. why I do like it is, like you said, is because it's psychological. They, you yeah. know what I mean? They, they, they de-emphasize her powers. Uh, right. And, you know, and they emphasize other things. So it moved along in a different way, which was brilliant for Marvel to do. Yeah. Yeah. It was excellent. You know, um, I love Agent Carter. 
Yeah. I love Agent Carter also. Even yeah. to some I mean, extent, even more so the Agents of Shield. Oh, not even to some extent. Agent Carter is way better. You know what I mean? Again, again, you know, that is a character that they play with so many things so subtly and so well. Yeah. Like, um, you know, with this last season, you know, I know some people were mad that she didn't get with the brother, but she was supposed to get with she was supposed to get with um Agent Sousa. That yeah. was that was set up in season one. But then I look at the men that Peggy is attracted to, right? Yeah. If you and, and she she is attracted to men with untapped strength or people who don't people who other people do not assume have this inner strength, right? Yeah. You could even think about Steve Rogers in that way. Yeah. You know, before the Zeta race, so on and so forth. You know, Sousa, he was injured in the war, right? Yeah. He's he's you know, he's 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 handy capable. But she's attracted to his inner strength. Um, even with the doctor, he's a he's a black man, you know what I mean? And, set in the time and, frame, yeah. Yeah, and everybody's like, "What the heck?" But she's like, "No, this dude is brilliant. I'm feeling this dude." So it's it's very it's very interesting, like what these shows do. Like I'm loving Legends of Tomorrow as well. Legends of Tomorrow is a whole bunch of fun. It is it is straight up the American Doctor Who meets Blake Seven. Yeah, but with yeah. superheroes. Yeah, you know. And again, that whole thing about McDuffie's rule of three black characters becoming a black it becomes a black show um you know granted you know i mean a lot of people don't talk about it but it's true wentworth miller who plays uh captain cold is biracial so then you have then you have hot girl and then you have firestorm and that's mcduffie's rule of three so you know what i mean so again it's like these subtle things that were that were were um that we see in these shows and some people complain about kind of the obvious thing and it's like nah man look underneath the surface you know and we're seeing some really really interesting stuff we're seeing some really really interesting things play with intersection you know play in terms of intersectionality and representation and race and culture you know that sort of thing like we're we're seeing we're seeing um of course, you know, corporations are reacting to it from a financial standpoint, but in their financial standpoint, what we're seeing on at least some level is a certain sense of genuine approach. Yeah. 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 To to these characters. And we also know when when it's fake too, you know what I mean? I, I was to say that. I mean, it, it it seems like it's coming from a sincere place and they're not they're not doing it in a in a well, hmm. I mean, they are doing it in a place where it makes economic sense. However, um, it doesn't... However, it's like when you see these characters and they're different, lev- they're different levels of quote-unquote authenticity. Okay? Um, for instance, when Luke Cage will come out later this year, right? Yeah. That'd be the blackest thing Marvel has done since Blade 1. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean, yeah. but but it'd be top notch blackness. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. You you know yeah, definitely. Um, um, which is cool. I mean, we we saw we saw that honest portrayal of Luke Cage and Jessica Jones, right? Yeah. Um, you know, granted, with DC, it's a little bit. DC is more surface when it comes to that representation, but 
on shows like The Flash, you've got this really cool thing where you have Barry Allen raised by a black father. Yeah. Yes. And that and uh, that actor, Jesse, Jesse plays that character very well. Jesse L. Martin, yes. 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 He he to be he's the crux of the show, to be yeah. honest with you. Yeah, he's the, the heart of the show. Yeah. You know what he, I mean? He definitely he's, is. He's the he's the soul, you know, he's he's the soul of the show. I mean, that's a very profound thing. Yeah. Right? We you you didn't you didn't you don't see that. No, you don't. No one, you know it's funny. No one even discusses the fact that his father is black. Like yeah. you know what I mean? Like it's kind of like okay. a lot of some people have more issue with the daughter as an iris being black and not yeah, even and thinking it, about yeah. I'm like the dad which, being is, which, is, it's, it's which is completely stupid. And what what I like and what I like about in the show, um, in the Flash is that how Barry acknowledges how uh, Joe is his is a father to him. Yes. You know, he's like, yeah, this is my, you're as much my dad as Henry is. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. Um, and that, and that's, and that's profound. And yeah, you know, when you look at fandom and they start, you know, they start bitching about like these really infinitesimal things. Yes. Um, but it's like, are you really studying the bigger picture? Are you yeah. really like? I, it, depend, really it depends on who the person like, is. I mean. Depending on you say you use the word fandom, depending on who the person is and who the background is, their concentration is not going to look at it the way we look at it. You know what I mean? Because to them, it's to them certain things that they look at stuff certain kind of like binary, where you know, right? Being being of African American in in America, we have to look at stuff in multiple ways. Where you know, if they choose to look at it in multiple ways as a choice, they can look at stuff binaries, either this or that. So you know what I mean? I think that's why they have that type of uh, opinion or they look at it through that through that lens. Right, right. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I think a number of people, um, I mean, even African-Americans too, I think African-Americans um, can can be very binary. Oh, oh, yeah, a lot of us are. Yeah, a lot of us are very binary in our, in our um, you know, sometimes in our viewpoints and sometimes in our discourse. And... Um, that's the audience that I'm concerned about with with checking subtlety. You know what I mean? Um, not not in terms of like, well, everything has got a deeper meaning. No, some stuff is BS. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, definitely. Like like gods of Egypt. I am so oh, boy. happy that it crashed and burned so spectacularly. You know what I mean? Yeah. It had to. It had to. <laughs> you you know was, what I'm saying? It was horrible. It it, it had to. It, it karmically had to you know what i'm saying yeah in in order in order to let at least some people know that when you whitewash something and then you're going to try and have a bs excuse for the whitewash and like it's great come see the movie anyway no there are consequences and repercussions to those actions exactly yeah and that's a glorious flame out you know (laughs) glorious (laughs) so that so so yeah some stuff needs to be called out but not everything needs to be called out. Yeah, yeah, I agree. So, um, basically, I I have uh, basically one more question, and then, then uh, I guess I'll be wrapping it up. Uh, how can people get in contact with you? You mentioned something about your website earlier. Uh, uh, just yeah. contact information. Yes, yes, yes. Um, you can check out um, all of our projects and IP at griotenterprises.com that's uh griot is g r 
IOT Enterprises, all one word, all lowercase, um, dot com. Um, you can find uh, me on Facebook um, under Jibamole Anderson, or you can go to the Griot Enterprises fan page or the Horseman graphic novel fan page. That's Horsemen, not Horseman. Mm-hmm. Um, page. I'm also up on Twitter um, as Jazz Intellect. Jazz Intellect is J A Z as in zebra, I N as in Nancy, T E L L E C T. Um, that's my handle at Twitter. Um, also, um, uh, yeah, I think um, I think those are number of spaces. Find me on Instagram as uh, Jazz Intellect as well. Um, also, I have a blog called the Afro Soul Chronicles. Um, up on WordPress. Uh, of course, Ghetto of the Mind, uh, my podcast show, you can download for free on iTunes. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, that's a, <laughs> that's, that's a lot of contact information. Yeah, it's a lot of, <laughs> I, I do a lot of things. I do a lot yeah, of things. I know how that is. Right. So, it was great talking to you. Uh, hopefully, I'll see you. Well, most likely not. I'll probably see you at C2E2. I'm only going to be there, me personally. I'm only going to be there for two days, I believe, Friday and Saturday. So, okay okay i'll be it. there all weekend yeah by the way also thank you for the final plug yes i will be at c2e2 um next week march 18th through the 20th uh i'll be floating around and about um so yeah some of y'all get at me okay that was jibba anderson thanks a lot for uh being with us uh coming on to the show and having just regular di- discussion all right fantastic thank you for inviting me no problem man thanks Thanks. All right, guys, have a good one. You too. You too.